You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. You would take a copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm chapter 33. I apologize, just a little under the weather with a sinus infection, but I plan to get through this today. So, uh, uh, looking forward to what God has for us today. Psalm 33, 12, and we'll be reading a lot of the chapter later on. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. In God... We trust, or do we? There's your question. Today we're going to wrestle with the idea of trust. Not just any old trust, but a trust in Almighty God. Now last week we learned about having reverence. In this case, it was having a reverence. In that case, it was having a reverence for God's Word, okay? And we need to understand you can't get far in this world without reverence. The Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that in the last days, hear this, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and the list goes on and on quite a bit more. In the last days, reverence and trust will grow cold in the hearts of people. And in my humble opinion, I believe we are living in the last days. What about you? Now today is the 245th anniversary of the United States. Now historically, that's a long time for a nation to remain free. I mean, 245 years really seems like a long time But did you know that 245 years is just 12 generations? Now, if you remember, the Roman Empire, it existed in some type of form for over 1,200 years. But even its brief history on the world stage, God has richly blessed the United States. It is the richest and most powerful nation in the history of the world. It also has a wonderfully rich spiritual history. As you know, it was founded by pilgrims and Puritans, two of the greatest religious revivals in history, known as the First and Second Great Awakenings, occurred in the United States. You may not have known this. Reverend John Witherspoon, a Presbyterian minister, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And almost all the forefathers praised Christianity and its morality. It was the teachings of Christ that was the basis for the end of our country's national disgrace, slavery. And it was devoted Christians who lobbied endlessly to abolish it. My country, tis of thee, was written by a Baptist minister, Samuel Francis Smith. The Pledge of Allegiance 
was written in 1892 by a Baptist, W.R. Watkinson. I'm sorry, Francis Bellamy. The words, in God we trust, are traced to the efforts of Reverend W.R. Watkinson. Now, if you hear all that, God truly has shed his grace in the United States of America. And there's a reason for it. When it was a young uh, country, the Frenchman, Alexis D. Tickville, visited the United States to discover what made America great. He just didn't understand it, why we were such a great country. He traveled across our vast lands, looking for our greatness in our harbors and in our rivers and our fertile fields and boundless forests. He studied our schools, our military, our Congress, our Constitution, but still he could not find the secret. It was not until he went into our churches and heard our pulpit aflame in righteousness, with righteousness, that he found the answer. When he returned to Europe, he wrote, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Sadly, our country has ceased to be good and is no longer great in many ways. It once stood for the Ten Commandments. Anybody remember those? But today, the Ten Commandments are mocked and often are illegal even to mention in a public setting. I'll start a series next week on the Ten Commandments. Some of you may say, Pastor, the Ten Commandments are outdated. The truth is, we've never caught up to them. Understand that. When the Founding Fathers reached a deadlock in the Constitutional Convention and simply could not agree on a crucial point, one of the members suggested that they have a prayer meeting. Can you imagine that today in Congress? That they have a prayer meeting and right there the members of the Continental Congress knelt and prayed for God's wisdom. Sadly, today, prayer is illegal in our public schools. Violence, crime, abortion, immorality, drunkenness, pornography, governmental corruption, rampant materialism, and greedy desire for sinful pleasure and every imaginable sin are in apt description of broad bands of Americans today. <clears throat> Many of you have money. And as you know, on our dollar bill and on our coins, what does it say? In God we trust. On this money, which is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States of America, it states in God we trust. Now, a nation does not exist in a vacuum. A nation is made up of people. We, you, and I are the United States of America. But look at this. 
For the United States to decree, in God we trust, it must be true of us. We, you, and I must trust in God. If it is not true in our hearts, then this little motto on this dollar bill and on our coins is meaningless. And money is simply a meaningless banknote, legal tender. Think about that. That motto on our money is no longer true. But it should be true for us who name the name of Christ. So here's the question. How can we transfer the motto and God we trust from our money into our hearts? The answer lies in Psalm 33. Not just in verse 12, but in the rest of the chapter as well. I'd like you to see three principles in this chapter that I believe should be observed if we are to survive as a free people blessed by God. The first principle is reverence for God. Now last week, if you remember, if you were here, I spent a long time, a lot of time in that first point, talking about how there needed to be a reverence for the Word of God. But this morning, I'm talking about there needs to be a reverence for God himself. Verse 18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who, what? <coughs> fear him. The idea of fearing God in the Bible embraces two ideas. One is a fear of judgment for willful sin that we do not repent of and forsake. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 through 31 says this. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was outraged and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will Repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The second, more common way the phrase fear of the Lord is used in the Bible is an idea of reverence and respect for God and the things of God. Listen, our nation desperately needs to return to a reverence for God. Do you believe that this morning? A reverence for God, a reverence for God's word, a reverence for the things of God. But today in our culture, well, we got this thing now called council culture. Remember that? But today in our culture, we have gone far beyond disrespect to outright blasphemy. Ordinary people's speech is flavored regularly with G-D. Did y'all hear that? G-D this and G-D that. And the precious holy name of Jesus 
has become a common explicit. Now listen to me. I said this my first year here, and let me say it again. God's last name is not damn. Did y'all hear that this morning? It's not. While it is practically a crime to insult a Muslim or Muhammad, it's open season on the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. With blasphemy and sacrilege and ridicule of everything holy and pure and common fare of TV and movies and music. Even some people who claim to be Christians watch and laugh along at the movies that mock God and spiritual things as if they're the funniest thing there is. Or use God's name in vain themselves without a second thought. I fear for the future of our country. You know why? Because when a people lose their reverence for God, it's a step on the road to destruction. Who is the, that God? Who is this God that we say we trust in? The man upstairs? The big guy in the sky? The big kahuna? How people refer to him? Well, let me tell you what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament has many names for God. And each tells us something about God and his character. He is Kadash, or Holy One. He's El Shaddai, or Almighty One. He's Jehovah Sidkanu, or the, <coughs> excuse me, or the Lord, our righteousness. He's Elroy, or the God who sees in his Shaphat, or the judge. You see, when we gather to worship the Lord here, let's remember that though he is our Father, with whom we are on familiar terms, he is also the Holy One, he is the Almighty One, the God who sees our heart. He is the judge. He is the only God the only one worthy of our reverence. If reverence for God is to return to our nation, it'll have to start with God's people. Do you believe that? It will have to start with God's people. And the best place to start is when we gather to worship. But if that's the only place we reverence God, we're just hypocrites showing off to one another. May we reverence God everywhere, in church or out, by not taking his name in vain and by not participating in mockery of his moral principles, by saying no and not supporting entertainment that mocks God and profanes his name. And the greatest way we can reverence God is by living a godly life. No, we'll never be perfect. We'll make mistakes. We'll not live up to what we aspire to be or what others aspire us to be. But we must be constantly focused on reverencing God by living a godly life and repenting before God and we, when we fail. Well, a second principle to help us internalize the motto in God we trust 
is dependence on God. <clears throat> now, this nation has gone through a lot. And no matter if who you voted for, one or not, was your dependence on that person or is your dependence on Almighty God? Think about that. This idea is fleshed out in verses 13 through 20. But it is summarized in verse 21 where it says, For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. If we as the people of God in our country would learn to depend upon the Lord instead of worldly things, maybe verse 12 would apply to us again where the psalmist says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Look how the idea, this idea of dependence on God weaves its way through verses 13 through 20 of Psalm. It reminds us, verses 13 and 15, that the Lord takes note of a country's regard for him. This is what it says. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Everything. Listen, God is watching the nations and peoples of this earth and he's weighing them in the balance. And if God is the Lord, they'll be blessed. If not, no matter how strong they are now, they'll face God's judgment. You see, nations and people think that the source of their power is in their military might. We're proud of our military, right? It is strong. But look at verse 16 and 17. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Now, I, what I want you to do is just substitute modern words for these ancient terms. For example, there is no president, no prime minister, no superior or dictator that can be saved by a big army. It's not military strength that protects us. A tank or a weapon system is a vain thing for safety. And that's what this verse is saying. This doesn't teach that we should not have a strong military. But it does mean a military cannot save a country from God's destruction if it does not have a reverence for God. That's what I'm trying to say today. We've got to have a reverence for God. And then the psalmist goes on to say in verses 18 through 20, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Can I ask you a question? Do you fear God today? I'm talking about out of a reverence for God. Not that he's just going to strike you down and kill you, but out of a reverence for God. Listen, 
Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. There have always been, there's always been evil, violent, despicable people in our nation's history right alongside those that fear the Lord. But those who love God have often protected our country from destruction just as God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there would have just been a few just and righteous people living there as salt and light in their community. Never will every American be a Christian or God-fearing, but every Christian ought to live like a Christian and fear God and pray that by being salt and light in our country, we can hold back God's judgment a little longer. You see, we have formidable enemies. We have external enemies and we have internal enemies. Our external enemies are formidable. The war against terror has not been won. And believe it or not, ISIS is still active. Not as much, but it's still there. Russia is still on the rise, and China is always flexing its muscle. And we never know what that idiot's doing in North Korea. Right? But our most dangerous enemies are internal. Did you know that the U.S. is number one in a lot of things? It's number one in the world in violent crime, divorce, teen pregnancies, abortions, illegal and illegal drug use. It's not to be proud of that, is it? Character and morality are no longer valued or nurtured as it was in the past. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, the most important value in our society now is fun and pleasure. Drunkenness has become a curse in our society, along with the sexual tolerance and rowdy indulgence that so often accompanies it. The answer, listen to this, the answer is not more education or more government spending or more stimulus checks. Not even a greater investment in science and technology. These will not save America nor give us the values and character that help to keep us safe for years to come. These will not restore our morality, which the patriots all claimed was the bedrock of a free society. This is what we need to do. We need to pray for a turning to God, a third <coughs> spiritual great awakening. Do you agree with that? I talked last week about revival. And I said that there needed to be a reverence for the word of God. And then there has to be a receiving of that word of God 
And then most importantly, there has to be a response to that word of God. But you have got to get in this book and read the word of God. That's what we need to do. In June 1910, a man named Steeple Jack Miller, how would you like that name? Known as the human fly, went to Los Angeles where he announced that on a certain day, he would climb up the face of one of the large department store buildings. Thousands gathered to watch him perform this seemingly impossible feat. Like for some of us, it would have been Evil Knievel. Remember when he would jump things? Slowly and carefully, he made his way upward. Now clinging to a jutting brick next to a cornice and so on. Up and up he went, getting almost to the top. He was seen to feel to the right and then feel to the left. And then above his head for something firm. Enough to support his weight. And soon he seemed to spy what looked like a gray bit of stone or discolored brick protruding from the smooth wall. He reached for it, but it was just beyond his reach. And after several minutes, appearing to be weighing his chances, he ventured everything and he leaped for it but before the horrified eyes of the spectator he fell to the ground and smashed into the pavement in his dead hand was found a spider's web that he had mistaken for a stone you ask what a lesson for us well it is if we'll just stop and think Yes, we need human effort. And we need to do our part to meet our challenges. But it's all in vain if we ignore the only solid rock there is, Jesus Christ. We, as a people, need to stop grasping for the empty things of this world that are unstable. And anchor ourselves to the God who has our destiny in his hands. May we repent of these things and lay a firm hold on the anchors of our soul. Jesus Christ and his word and his righteousness. Well, the last principle I want to share with you is found in verses 18 and 22, which urges us hope in his unfailing love. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. The Hebrew word translated hope in verses 18 and 22 means to cast one's care on another. That's pretty much the same as our English word for hope. But in verses 18 and 22, where the word translated mercy is found, it does not mean mercy as we use it in our modern English or in the New Testament sense of God withholding from us the judgment we deserve. It's the Hebrew word kesed, which is the wonderful word New Testament theology professors spend two whole classes explaining. Been there. 
The shortest definition for this one word is this. An affectionate loyalty stemming from a relationship and resulting in kind deeds. You see, most modern translations render kessid as actually God's unfailing love or his steadfast love. The psalmist is saying that we could cast upon the unfailing love of God. You see, many of our nation's problems can be traced to a lack of hope. Poor people often turn to crime because they don't see a way out. They've lost hope. Depressed people turn to drugs, alcohol, and suicide because they have no hope. But do we understand this morning, the Bible is a book of hope. Amen? Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. Can I ask you a question this morning? What is your hope really in? Huh? What is your hope really in? Is it God? Because if it's not, if it's anything besides God, you're not going to have much hope. Now listen. Lori loves me. Sometimes she likes me. Sometimes she tolerates me. But let me tell you something. If she puts her hope in me, it ain't going to be the best thing she could ever do. Because I will fail her. But you understand, God is about his unfailing love. His steadfast love. It goes on and says in Luke 4, 18, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You see, hope has as its object the Lord and His unfailing love and prayer is where we find hope. During the dark, dark days of the American Revolution, when the Continental Army had experienced several setbacks, a farmer who lived near the battlefield approached George Washington's camp without being seen or heard. And suddenly his ears caught an earnest voice raised in agonizing prayer. Coming nearer, he saw it was the General George Washington himself. Down on his knees in the snow, his cheeks wet with tears, he was asking for God for assistance in his guidance. And the farmer crept away and returned home. He said to his family, it's going to be all right. We're going to win the war. Well, what makes you think so, of course, says the wife. Well, said the farmer, I heard General Washington pray out in the woods today, such a fervent prayer I have never heard. And God will surely hear and answer that kind of praying. And guess what? The farmer was right. It happened because Washington put his hope in God. Well, let me close this by saying this. I've talked about America this morning, but America is not in this congregation. You are. 
So what is God saying to you in this message? Well, I think we need to begin with our first point, a reverence for God. Let me ask you a question. Do you use God's name reverently? You turn on the TV and, oh my God, oh my God. Y'all understand? Same stuff, irreverent. People say, Jesus Christ. Let me remind you what God said in the third commandment, which I'll be preaching here in a few weeks. And the warning after the commandment in Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him, listen, guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Are you irreverent when you gather for worship with God? You see, it's irreverent to come to worship without preparation of your heart, without repentance, without passion when you sing, without participating. Remember, when we gather to worship, we're praying homage to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let's treat him with the honor and reverence due to one who's so great and mighty. Do you live irreverently, putting in your time (coughs) on Sunday, but living a life of sin and disobedience to God the rest of the week. That's called being a hypocrite. And Lord knows we don't need more of those. I mean, God help us to live worthy of our calling. God help us to live reverently, realizing that God is with us everywhere we go. Second, return to dependence. On God. Have you committed yourself 100% to God by being saved and by following God's word in every area of your life? If you are a believer, have you learned to depend on God in the midst of your trials and difficulty in life instead of trusting in your own? resources, and strength. Jesus places before us today a yoke. We either take up his yoke, believe in in him and learn of him, or we take on a yoke of slavery. In Jesus' gentle yoke, there is rest and peace. And under Satan's yoke, there is chaos and destruction. There is no true freedom in between wherein we can live. We either serve and trust God or we serve ourselves, which is to serve Satan and chaos. So hear this. We must individually and as a nation choose this day who we serve. Finally, are you hoping in God's unfailing love? Whatever you may be going through in your life today, you can be sure, assured of God's unfailing love. His steadfast love will be with you through every problem 
and you can trust him. And that's one thing you can take to the bank. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we come to pray, at this time of invitation, Lord, I lift up our country. Lord, we know that we still live in the greatest country. Even though it's easy to be ashamed of our country so many times. But God, it's us who call ourselves Christian who can make this country better. So Father, my prayer today is that all of us would come to the understanding today and surrender that we're going to show a reverence for Almighty God. Lord, there are people here today who are frustrated with life. They're frustrated just like I am with things that are going on with our country and we don't understand it and it's easy to question you and say, God, why do you allow it? But God, nothing has escaped you. Lord, would you help us to trust you today? God, I pray today that, Lord, you would send that third great awakening through our country today. That true revival would come. But God, help all of us understand that it begins in each of us. Father, today if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would understand that you are the only way. Lord, for those who just got things going on in their life and they need to come pray about or need one of us pastors to pray that they would come today. And for our people here today who who love our country that just want to come and pray for our country, that they would come today. As every Sunday, God, we just ask you to have your special way. I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.